Good to see you all this morning. I also want to say hello to everyone who's watching online and on television. For those of you in the room, would you please give our online television audience a big hand? Thank you. Please, please come out to today at 4 p.m. It's going to be fantastic. I promise you, you will be blessed. Uh, this Advent season, we are looking at some interesting names found in Jesus's genealogy. It happens to be five women, and it's an odd group of names with a Hittite and a Moabite and some Canaanites mentioned there. It seems odd these names are mentioned in a Jewish genealogy, much less the genealogy of the salvation of the world. But we believe that these five women are five pictures of God's grace to us. Last week, we talked about Tamar and how that God restores us. And this week, we come to a person named Rahab, where we want to talk about how God rescues us. So if you have a Bible, please go to Joshua chapter 2. That's where we'll be in just a moment or two. Some may wonder, why are we doing a series on God's grace? And uh, I believe that this series is very important because in our Western culture, we have a, a very misguided view of God's grace. Many times we think that God's grace is simply God kind of overlooking our shortcomings or overlooking our sin in some way. And we forget that it is the grace of God, God's activity in our life that we do not deserve. It's the grace of God that is the radical, transformative power of God at work in us. Because grace changes everything. When you understand the radical nature of God's grace, you understand that it changes everything. And so today, again, we come to Rahab and to look at her story, we need to go back in time. As the Israelites were about to enter Canaan and claim their promised land, first they had to go to the city, a fortified city known as Jericho, also known as the city of Palms. And so it, if they took this city, it's a strategic point, if they took this city, they would be able to split the country in two from north and south, and then they would be able to go from there and conquer the rest of it. But before they go in and conquer Jericho, Joshua sends spies into the city in order to gauge the mood of the people and to see if they were ready for war. It's within the context of Joshua sending in these spies that we meet this woman named Rahab. And so we pick it up in Joshua chapter two, verse one, and it says, and Joshua, son of Nun, sent two men secretly from Siddim as spies saying, go view the land, especially Jericho. And they went and came to the house of a prostitute whose name was Rahab and lodged there. And then the story goes on that the king of Jericho in verse two, the king of Jericho hears that these men have come. He hears that they have gone to Rahab's house. And so the king sends a message to Rahab that says to bring the men out who have come to stay at your house. But in verse four, Rahab said that she had, uh, or it says that Rahab had taken the two men and hidden them. And she said, true, the men came to me. I did not know where they were from. Verse five, and when when the gate was about to close at dark, they went out. I do not know where the men went. Pursue them quickly, for you will overtake them. But, verse 6 tells us, she had taken them up on the roof, and she had hidden them in the stalks of flask that she had laid in order on the roof. But the king of Jericho's men goes chasing after them. The first, one of the things I want you to notice here 
about God's grace is this reality of honesty. This is very important if we're going to understand the grace of God at work in our life. Notice that in verse 1, as Joshua sends the two spies in secretly, notice that the description that is there about Rahab. Notice the text points out plainly that they came to the house of a prostitute named Rahab. Now, many times we, we would say, well, that, that just sounds distasteful. Surely, surely we could clean that up a bit. Or, or why did they have to put that descriptive phrase and describe what Rahab's uh, profession was? You know, couldn't they have just edited that part out? And the answer is no. They couldn't just edit that part out. They couldn't just kind of clean and sanitize the story a little bit because it wouldn't have been the whole truth. If we're going to understand God's grace, we have to understand that God is always honest about our life choices. God is always honest about our sin. God is always honest about our faults and our flaws. He's honest. Even when we don't want to be honest, God is honest. And he sees all of who we are, even those parts of our life that we in our modern culture try to hide from others. He sees absolutely all of it. And we need to come to that place, if we're going to understand grace, we have to be honest about where we are and who we are right now. Right now. We say a lot around here about, you know, we don't want to be a people uh, that, that's just always wearing masks and hiding things. We want to be authentic. And if we're going to understand grace, if we're going to receive God's grace, we have to come to that place where we're honest Yes, before God, yes, with each other, and also, yes, honest with ourselves, if we're really going to receive God's grace. And this must be, this must be, this has to take place. We have to get to that place where we can be honest with ourselves, because when grace is present, it means that God is about to change something. God's grace always brings change, always brings change. Again, a lot of times we have this twisted view of grace. We think that it's God kind of just overlooking things in our life. That is not God's grace. That is not his activity in our life. It was Diedrich Bonhoeffer who coined that phrase, cheap grace, where he talked about there's a grace in the church that just kind of says, hey, God says I'm okay. But deep grace, real grace, true grace says that there's a need for a change. Something needs to change in your life. And until we get to that place of honesty, and that's what confession is, right? Confession is simply calling it what God calls it. That's confession. I'm willing to say, yes, this is wrong because God says it's wrong. Until we get to that place where we can call it what God calls it and be honest with ourselves, a change will never take place. But notice what happens next. While God is honest about Rahab and her life situation, he is honest about ours as well. Notice that verse eight says, she has this conversation with the spies. Before the men lay down, she came up to them on the roof and said to them, I know, notice those two words, I know, I know that the Lord has given you the land and that the fear of you has fallen upon us. And that all the inhabitants of the land melt away before you. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea before you when you came out of Egypt. And what you did to the two kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan, whom you devoted to destruction. As soon as we heard it, 
our hearts melted, and there was no spirit left in any man because of you. For the Lord your God, she says, he is, he is, not might be, he is the God in the heavens above and the earth beneath. That is a radical change of mind and heart. You see, while God is always honest about our life choices, God's grace at work in our life always changes our mind and our heart. Do you see those two changes in Rahab right here? The first one is found in the phrase, I know. We may be tempted to think that Rahab's conversation in helping the spies might be a way to kind of whitewash her past, but that's not what's happening. Instead, there's a deep change that has taken place. When she has this conversation with the spies, she begins with this phrase, I know. I know that the Lord has given you the land, she says. There's something that Rahab now knows that she did not know before. There's something that she knows about the Lord that she did not know before. Change of mind. And then notice the change of heart. She uses the word twice. It's the language of melting, melting. This language of melting points to a person's inner disposition, their vigor for life. The language reveals a change that's taking place that's not just a surface level change. Notice that Rahab here is not just learning some things about God, but she's learning who God is. Notice how clear her language is at the end when she says, for the Lord your God, he is God in the heavens above and the earth below. There's a surface way of engaging with God where we learn things about God, but it's something beyond us. It's something external. That's not Rahab's language. Rahab's language is internal. She's not just learning things about God. She is learning who this God really is. And so while God is always honest about where we are in life, our own life choices, when his grace is at work, changes come. And that those chains begin in our mind and in our hearts. But it doesn't stop there. Because when God's grace is at work in our life, God's grace replaces the immoral for the eternal. God's grace replaces the immoral for the eternal. It's the immoral purposes that now become eternal purposes. It's the immoral pursuits that now become eternal pursuits, and that's what we see in Rahab's life. While it's true that Rahab was living as a prostitute, God had been strategically working in Rahab's life to give her a strategic opportunity. You see, the walls of Jericho were not just one wall, it was two walls. They were, it was served as a double barrier. And recent archaeological findings tell us that the space between the two walls was about 12 to 15 feet. So some people would build sun-dried brick homes over the gap, and those would be supported by timbers. This was Rahab's house. Rahab's house was at a strategic point situated over the two walls so that she could look out the window and she could see beyond the outer wall. Rahab had been using this house for something immoral. But now, her house, even the place where she lives, is going to be redeemed for a different purpose. 
So while she's experiencing this change of mind and heart, she looks up and she realizes that God has strategically placed her at this point, at a point where she can help Israel's army and then also save her own life and her family's. But she still had to act. She still had to make a choice to act in some way at this moment. While God is honest about her life, while God is bringing a change about in her mind and her heart, while God is changing her purposes and pursuits in life, there still has to be this point where she acts in faith because faith is an action. And what we see here is that faith is a response to God's grace in our life. Rahab's faith in action was a response to all of this that God was doing in her life. And God saved and protected Rahab because her faith response to his grace was lived out. She did something. This is why she's mentioned in Hebrews 11. In Hebrews 11, the great hall of faith where it talks about all these heroes that have gone before us and then these amazing things for God. It lists Rahab there in Hebrews 11, 29 through 31. It says, by faith, the people crossed the Red Sea on dry ground, but the Egyptians, when they attempted to do the same, they were drowned. By faith, the walls of Jericho came down after being encircled for seven days. By faith, Rahab the prostitute did not perish with those who were disobedient because she had given a friendly welcome to the spies. See, Rahab was not just experiencing some change in her that she didn't do anything with. No, she acted on it in faith. Faith was not just something she had, it's something that she lived. And the beautiful thing about that is that you and I, we either are or were in the same position as Rahab. You see, Rahab was one of those who were, the scripture would say, afar off from God spiritually. She was one of those who was cut off from the covenants of God, but so were you and I. This is what Ephesians 2 tells us. Ephesians 2 tells us that you and I and Rahab have much in common. Ephesians 2, 11 and 12 says, therefore remember that at one time you Gentiles, that's all of us unless you're a Jew here today, you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. You see, that was Rahab at one point as she's just living life in Jericho. And then God began to work in her life and she had to make a choice. Who am I going to side with? The same is true for me and you. That is our story as well. Either at one time or we are right now, we were separated from God. But God has graciously invited us into this relationship. He's graciously invited us to have this thing called faith. And he's graciously invited us to act on the faith we have. Rahab was a lost pagan woman doing immoral things, living in the city of Jericho, and yet she has become one of the most honored women throughout Scripture, used multiple times as an example. In Hebrews, she's used as this illustration of faith. In James, as we'll see in a minute, she's used as, as an example of works. And these two things go together. You put both of those together and Rahab paints this picture of what we all should be, of what we all should have. 
We should have a belief that behaves differently than the world. And that's what Rahab had. A belief that did something different than everybody else around her. So you and I get to walk in Rahab's shoes. You and I get to walk in those shoes, once separated, but now we are friends of God because of our faith in God. But again, that faith is an action. But when we act on that faith, one of the things that we see over and over throughout scripture, we see it here in Rahab's life. When we act on that faith, we see that God always remembers your response to his grace. God always remembers your response to his gracious work in your life. If you go from Joshua chapter two over to Joshua chapter six, in Joshua six seventeen, it gives the report of the city. It says, and the city and all that is within it shall be do- devoted to the Lord for destruction. Only Rahab, the prostitute, and all who are with her in her house, in her house, shall live because she hid the messengers whom we sent. You see, when the walls of Jericho finally fall, scriptural evidence is that the only section of the wall that did not come down would have been that section where Rahab's house would have been. You know, it was, wasn't really necessary for the spies to identify the scarlet cord she hung out the window, if you know the story. We'll get to that in a minute. Because her part would have been preserved. Her and her family who were with her. See, God remembered her response to his grace. And in remembering that response to his grace, he protected her, he rescued her from what was taking place on this day. God remembered and honored Rahab's response and he will remember and honor yours as well. I'm not saying that bad things aren't gonna happen. I'm not saying that hard times are not gonna come. They will come because we live in a fallen world. Absolutely, absolutely. But what I do know is that your obedient, res- uh, your obedient response to God's grace today will keep you from some disaster tomorrow. I do believe that. I believe that your obedient response to God's grace today will keep you from some pain tomorrow, absolutely. Because God remembers when we respond to him. God watches over us, he protects us. Yes, times will be tough. Don't fall into that thinking that everything's gonna go your way, no, no, no. Yes, there will be tough times, absolutely, but God will be with you in those tough times. He will see you through those tough times, absolutely. And he will even make a way where the enemy has put obstacles in front of you. He'll remove those. He did it for Rahab. If anybody had an excuse to live hopeless, it would have been Rahab. But in this moment, yes, God was honest about her life, but something began to change. Listen, if you don't like change, don't don't have anything to do with Christianity. It's constant change, absolutely. It's God constantly molding you, constantly working on your mind, constantly working in your heart, constantly working in your life, the trajectory you're on, changing your purposes, changing your pursuits. He constantly does that, constantly. And the question is, will we respond just as Rahab responded here? And not only does God remember your response to his grace, but I believe that God rewards your response to his grace. 
And I believe that's what we see in Rahab's story. The rescuing here happened because she chose to respond and God rewarded her responding. But here's the thing, there has to be a response. So many times we walk around like spoiled children. Why doesn't God do this and why doesn't God do that? Well, I think God's sometimes sitting on the throne saying, why don't you do this and why don't you do that? I think I've already told you what to do. I think I've already been trying to lead you in a certain direction. Why don't you? Amen or oh me? Yeah. It calls for a response. Faith is not something stagnant within you. There's a type of faith that is that way. James teaches us in James chapter two. He uses Rahab as an example. He says, and in the same way, was not Rahab the prostitute justified by works? Oh, we don't like hearing things like that. That's weird. Justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out another way. Then he explains, verse 26, for as the body apart from the spirit is dead, also faith apart from works is dead. And notice Rahab's the example. See, Rahab's eventual rescue depends not only on her initial confession of faith, I know who the Lord is now, and also her conversation with the spies, but it was her continuing obedience to the instructions that the spies gave her. And she hung the scarlet cord out her window. Isn't that interesting? Almost like a sign of the blood covenant. It was the people of Israel who would come to the Passover and they put the blood over their doorpost. It's the only proper way to do Passover, by the way. Put the blood over the doorpost. And here she's hanging out a scarlet cord as a sign of this is the kind of covenant I'm a part of now. But notice she responded in faith. James goes on and tells us in many different ways that this is so absolutely vital. James 2.17, faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. James 2.18, I will show you my faith by my works. James 2.24, you see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. James 2, 26, faith apart from works is death. You say, wait a minute, Chris, we're, part of the, we're Protestants. What do you mean by that? I'm justified by faith alone through grace alone, right? Absolutely. But real faith always is lived faith, my friends. Real faith is always lived faith. Real faith is not just a mental assent to some set of beliefs. Real faith is not even some mental assent to say, I believe this book is inspired. Real faith is lived faith. And Rahab teaches us that. When we respond to God's grace the way Rahab did, we live the faith that has been instilled in us. You can have a faith that does not have any action to it. The Bible just calls it dead faith. And it says it's not saving faith. Hmm, that Bible, I'll tell you what. <laughs> David Jackman says, obedience to what God commands is the only credible confirmation of belief in what he provides. Obedience to what God commands is the only credible confirmation of belief in what he provides. So I wanna ask you, do you need to be rescued from something? Right now, 
need to be rescued from a situation at work, need to be rescued from a toxic relationship with somebody, you need to be rescued from something. I, I don't know how God's going to go about doing that. I, I don't know what the end result looks like. But what I do know is that God is honest about our life and our life choices. What I do know is that God's grace changes our mind and heart. What I do know is that God's grace replaces the immoral with the eternal. What I do know is that our faith is a response to God's grace. What I do know is that God remembers your response to his grace. And what I do know is God rewards those who respond to his grace. But there is a response. There is an action. There is obedience. And that obedience, again, is that credible confirmation that that belief is really in you. And there's something that Rahab speaks to us that's so powerful. It is absolutely absolutely powerful. It'll change your life. If we will simply step out and live what we already know. She didn't know a whole lot, but she knew who the Lord was. If we will step out and act on what we already know, God will put his hand upon us and rescue us from the situations that we will face if we're not facing them already. Again, I don't know how that's going to work out for you, but I do know what your response is, is a response of faith. Faith, because he's graciously worked in your life and there the favor of the Lord rests. Amen. So Lord, would you give us holy boldness to act on what we already know, to be obedient to the revelation we've already received. Lord, may we dare take a step of faith today and another one tomorrow and another one the next day. Lord, we don't, may not know the whole road map. We, we, we may not know where it's all leading or going. But Lord, may we just have that boldness to respond to your grace in obedience. Lord, would you give that to us right here, right now? right in this place. Lord, I thank you for those who are going to be baptized today, who are declaring that they want to live this kind of life, that they own this kind of faith. Pray your blessings on them. Pray your blessings on us. Lord, we love you. We really do. And we thank you for loving us. We pray this in Jesus' good and powerful name and everybody said.